Welcome to the Engineering Career Conversations. I'm Krista Downey, Director of the Engineering Career Center at Cornell University. And I'm Tracy Nathans-Kelly, Director of the Engineering Communications Program. We are excited to bring you this forum where we will host lively conversations that we hope will inspire you. I'm here today with Christine Chang, a mechanical engineering graduate from Cornell University whose career spans work at NASA Johnson Space Center, Boeing, and in science education and policy. Christine is now in a doctoral program at the University of Colorado Boulder, where she investigates human-robot collaboration and communication supported via augmented reality, particularly in high-risk environments. As you'll hear in this episode, Christine is deeply invested in increasing inclusion, equity, and justice in education and STEM fields. I'm glad to have her here today. So why don't you start by telling us more about your current work specifically? What are you doing and what does this look like on a day-to-day basis? Sure. Yeah. So uh, currently I am a PhD student. Uh, I go to the University of Colorado Boulder and I work in the Collaborative AI and Robotics Laboratory. So I'm getting my PhD in computer science and Um, I do research on human-robot interaction, Um, and this is a pretty broad field that can be lots of different things, but I am especially interested in looking at kind of the human side of things and how um, we can improve the ways that humans can communicate and understand robots and vice versa. Um, How can we make, you know, robots more uh, interpretable and understandable by humans? And so... Um, you know, day to day, this looks like a lot of different things. It can be, you know, building a system that I'm going to use in an experiment uh, with humans and robots. It can be kind of creating that experiment, deciding how I want to test my different hypotheses, um, writing lots of writing, whether it's writing code or writing papers, as well as reading. Um, and uh, yeah. And then in addition to that, I do lots of um, different kinds of like mentorship and service work and um, advising of undergrads and other graduate students. Uh, I work on um, on different committees in the department. I've served on the Computer Science Graduate Student Association as the anti-racism and inclusion chair. Um, and then I do, in that capacity, I worked, you know, with faculty in the department as well as across the, the college and the university. And so lots of things like that as well. Excellent. And can you tell us about your path that got you to where you are today? Yeah. Um, I So I, when I start telling this story, I like to go all the way back to high school because I feel like that's kind of where it started. So I hope that's okay. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, so when I was in high school, I saw the movie Apollo 13, and um, if you've seen this movie, you know there's a scene where, you know, they're trying to uh, solve a problem on the space capsule. It, it Their um, carbon dioxide levels are rising faster than they had anticipated, and the scene is a bunch of engineers in Houston in the room and they throw a bunch of stuff out on the table and some guy says, we have to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. And I saw that scene and I was like, 
that is what I want to do. And I want to do it at NASA. And um, I kind of, I didn't know what that meant at the time. Like I didn't know that that meant I needed to become an engineer and study, you know, aerospace or mechanical engineering, but I figured it out. And I um, was early enough on in high school that I could, I joined my high school robotics team to kind of make sure that this was actually something I wanted to do. Um, it was only like the second year that the robotics team had existed. And so, um, you know, it was pretty new, but uh, I did that and I loved it. It was awesome. Um, we participated in something called the first robotics competition. It was a relatively new competition at that time. Um, and yeah, and then I decided, okay, like if I want to work at NASA, that probably means like aerospace engineering or mechanical engineering. And so that's what I decided I wanted to do in college. And um, I chose Cornell because I knew that not only could I get a great mechanical engineering education, but I could also do lots of other things like um, take classes in writing and Spanish and, and, you know, all sorts of other things that I'm also interested in. Um, and then when I was an undergrad, I, one of the other reasons I chose Cornell was because of the co-op program. And so I, I did that. I did uh, actually um, three or four different co-op tours at Johnson Space Center in Houston. And then they offered me a job at graduation. And so I took that job and, and moved to Houston and I got to work on all sorts of cool projects, including training to be a flight controller and mission control. I got to work on pyrotechnics testing and design. And the last thing I did at JSC was uh, work on a system to utilize the uh, lunar regolith, like the dirt on the moon, and turn it into uh, breathable oxygen. And uh, so that was an incredible experience, but at some point I decided I wanted to try living in places that were not Houston. <laughs> and so um, I got a job at Boeing Commercial Airplanes in Seattle and I worked there for, for a few years. And at that point I kind of, I knew even when I was in college that I was interested in education and, and teaching. And so I ended up moving to Boise, Idaho for a little bit and I took one course at Boise State University and decided that I really wanted to get my master's in education. And so that's what I did. Um, and through that, through connections that I made through that program, I ended up getting a, a teaching position at a school in Boise. And I mostly taught in the junior high level math and science and engineering classes, but I got to teach anything from kindergarten math to like, you know, engineering and, and physical science for ninth graders. So um, it was a, it was a really unique experience. And um, yeah, and I love that I did that for a few years. And, and then um, I decided I wanted to kind of work at a higher level, not just higher education, but also kind of impacting more people than just the students in my classroom. And so I got a job at Boise State University, and I got to work in an office called, at the time it was called the Institute for STEM and Diversity Initiatives. And um, through that, I got to not only work with faculty and students on campus and help them um, participate in different types of like design competitions and uh, help them make connections to teachers in the community, but then I also got to work with those teachers in the community. Um, 
and do different professional development type things, as well as um, one of the things I'm most proud of in my life, which is I started a robotics team for high school girls. Um, and so this robotics team was based at the university, but anyone who could make it to our meetings was welcome to join, um, but it was geared towards um, girls in ninth through 12th grade. And um, that team still exists today. It has expanded to include students of all genders. Um, and I'm super proud of the fact that many of those girls have gone on to study engineering in college. Um, and then at that point, I knew I wanted, I really enjoyed working in higher ed. And um, I knew that if, if I wanted to kind of advance in higher ed, I probably needed a PhD. Um, and in recruiting mentors for the robotics team, it was very apparent. I mean, you know, we know this, we, we know that the research says this and, and just from my own experiences, I know this firsthand, but it was very apparent when trying to find mentors that there are so few females, especially in uh, computer science and um, like the technology sector of STEM. And so I decided that I wanted to study computer science uh, for my PhD. It had been so long since I got my mechanical engineering degree, I was like, well, I'd probably have to relearn a bunch of that stuff anyways, so I might as well learn something entirely new. And so, uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up studying CS uh, for my PhD. And uh, yeah, so here I am, um, I'm, planning on graduating within the next year, probably next summer. Um, and uh, yeah, that was probably a longer story than you were expecting, but that's the, that's my story. <laughs> well, it's great. And again, like just the progression, I, I think it's a fascinating journey and I like it when people's journeys are not linear. I think it tells a more interesting story and I think that it allows the individual to bring a more interesting uh, perspective, you know, into the work that you're doing. So I think all of those experiences are probably informing the work that you're doing right now and will continue to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, as far as, you know, the the, I mean, I didn't talk a lot about my experience in grad in, in my PhD program, but yeah, I think that all of my prior experiences have definitely kind of not just informed, but like, you know, guided that process and the different choices I've made in terms of the research I'm doing or the different like, you know, external activities I've participated in, the internships and fellowships, yeah. things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of what you'll do with this, right? I think about your, you're doing this exciting work and there are so many possibilities for how you can make an impact with this work. Ultimately, what are you most interested in? How would you like to make the greatest impact with the work that you're doing? I thank you for asking this question because that is really at the heart of, of my work. I, I, my goal is to figure out how to make an impact and kind of improve our world. Um, that sounds very, you know, cliche or idealistic, but I, I think that everyone can do that on, you know, on whatever level they're capable of. So my, what I want to do when I graduate is work in technology policy, actually. Um, so 
over the past few years, not in addition to my, you know, very technical computer science research, I also have been working on working in different areas, influencing um, policy decisions. So I got to participate in the Colorado Science and Engineering Policy Fellowship a few summers ago. And through doing that, I proposed uh, some facial recognition legislation in Colorado. And that is now a version of that has been signed into law by the governor. And then this past summer, I interned with the uh, National Telecommunications and Information Administration, so NTIA, they're a federal agency, and um, their policy office is uh, basically the principal advisor to the president on um, telecommunications and information. So this includes things like broadband and internet and privacy and cybersecurity, so many different things. Um, and so, you know, I got to work with them this summer and do work on um, AI accountability policy and uh, digital discrimination and things like this. So um, I'm really excited about kind of continuing in that same direction and uh, working with folks who are influencing technology policy at the, at the federal level and, and beyond. I love it. When I hear you say that, equity comes to mind as the thing, you know, where you an area where you can have a huge impact with this policy. Yes, for sure. I mean, I feel like that has been kind of a through line my entire life um, is, is, you know, ideas of equity and inclusion. And um, I, I think that certainly one of the things that attracted me most to both the the internship this summer as well as the particular you know research proposal that i did for for the state of colorado um is the idea that i could make things more equitable um and make technology more equitable and access you know increase access to technology and the internet and all of these things and so yeah i mean i think that is something that has to be a part. I think that is something you cannot separate from technology policy is equity. Like that is so that is part of the basis of why we need, you know, to improve tech policy in this country and and in the world. Um, I believe very strongly that. Uh, technology is a human right and that there are many aspects of tech policy that are very easy to look at from a human rights perspective. And if we do that, then the answers become very clear about what we need to do um, to make progress. Yeah, it's important work. I'm so glad that you're working on this. So thinking about young people who are maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe thinking about graduate school or just starting in graduate school, but they're interested in this field. They're interested maybe in the, you know, equity and AI, but more on the, you know, plan to stay more on the technical side and not get into the policy as much. What might this group of people do, broadly speaking, to 
just, you know, bring more awareness. What are the resources? What are the communities where they should go where this is being talked about? You know, how might, you know, a young person who cares about the issue and wants to be on the technical side of things just stay more aware? Do you, do you see where I'm going with this question? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, there's, there's so many resources. Um, we definitely need more people. I, I mean, I would argue that anyone who works in computer science should be concerned with this issue. Um, but if you are already kind of interested or curious, um, there's lots of different resources and, and um, you know, for someone who's in computer science already or in, you know, working in technology, um, there is a conference called Fairness, Accountability and Transparency or FACT that has existed for quite a while now. And so there's, this is a venue for publishing all sorts of, you know, papers about anything that's related to, to fairness, accountability and transparency um, in terms of, you know, technology and computer science. And so some, many of these publications are extremely technical. Some are less so in terms of, you know, how much basic knowledge you need to have about computer science in order to understand the, the paper. I think that also there's a conference called We Robot um, that I was fortunate to attend this, this uh, just a few, like a couple months ago. Um, and they actually bring together uh, technical folks, people in law, people in policy and ethics to all have conversations around, you know, how robotics in particular, but also kind of AI writ large impacts those different areas and, and how, you know, all of those ideas are intertwined. And then what I, one thing I really love about this particular conference is that it's a workshop style. And so you, you get feedback from people who are not necessarily in your field, but who think about these same concepts from from their perspective and mm. so um it really forces you to think more about how uh, you know how your work can be received by folks who aren't just in your specific you know tiny little research area and so these are some of the things that i would definitely encourage folks to to look for and then once you start reading these papers or looking at who they cite you know that's your your network just kind of branches right yeah, that, I think that's a, that's probably a good start. And then I, you know, if you're, especially, you know, since we're having this as an engineering conversation, you know, so if you're an engineer, I would say reach out to, you know, folks who are in the law school. That's another way that I've gotten to kind of expand my thinking around this area is I talk a lot with the, you know, folks at Colorado Law and they have, you know, a center that's focused around technology, policy, and ethics. And um, so, you know, I, many universities have that as well. So I would encourage you to, to kind of get involved with that side of things too. And it's kind of fun being the engineer in a room of lawyers and, you know, you learn a lot about law and then, you know, they also turn to you for, you know, to, to, learn more about the technical side. I love that. I'm always, you know, talking with students about building their network and uh, one-on-one conversations and in, you know, offering workshops on this topic. And 
encouraging people to build the network out beyond people like you, right? You, you want a diverse group of people in your network. I firmly believe everybody needs a lawyer in their network. <laughs> you need people, <laughs> right? You need people with, you know, have these different backgrounds and different ways of looking at the world and experiencing the world in their daily work. And yeah, that's how we move forward and grow. Yes, I, I agree 110%. Like, I, I feel like, you know, when I was telling my story of how I, how I arrived at where I am now, I, every single step along the way was certainly influenced by folks in my network. Like it wasn't just me making these decisions in a vacuum. It was, oh, well, I know this person, or I've, you know, seen that this is possible or, you know, oh, I wonder if, you know, so-and-so knows about an opportunity. Um, and, you know, it's those connections that have, kind of helped me along my path. Um, and I, yeah, with, in terms of the diversity of your network, the more diverse your network is, the more opportunities you're going to have, the more ideas you're going to be presented with that, you know, you may not have thought of otherwise and, and might kind of, you know, set you on a new course. Does anything come to mind as a particular idea of uh, maybe an opportunity, maybe even um, not necessarily an opportunity for a new job or the next thing, but a collaboration where you are? Does something come to mind of how your network supported you in a collaboration or partnership? Gosh, there's so many. (laughs) I'm just trying to think of like maybe one of the, the best ones to share. It's hard to say. So when I, when I first started at, CU at the University of Colorado, I, I started with one particular advisor. And sadly, he had cancer when I started and I knew this. And so I, I kind of came in knowing that, you know, this, this partnership may, may sadly end. And unfortunately, he passed away in my second semester of grad school. It was really sad loss. His name was Mike Eisenberg, and he did amazing research with kids and technology. Unfortunately, he was, you know, one of the few people who did that, or really the only one who did that kind of work at CU. And so I had to find another another advisor, and I ended up switching research areas entirely. Um, but because I had already gotten involved with, you know, a student group on campus that was very like tangential to my research. It was just something that I was interested in. Um, it was called NASA Suits, and Suits was an acronym that stands for Spacesuit User Interface Technologies for Students. <laughs> um, and uh, the idea was that you build a um, an augmented reality heads-up display for astronauts to use. Um, you know, on spacewalks or, you know, even just on the space station or, or, you know, doing, doing whatever kinds of work they needed to get done. And so, um, through this, I, you know, learned more about augmented reality and how useful that could be. And, um, that was kind of what set me on my, on course for my kind of research that I'm doing now, which is, you know, much more about using different technologies uh, to facilitate human-robot interactions. And one of those technologies is augmented reality. And so when I 
um, first met with the, the person who would become my new advisor, my new PhD advisor, um, that was kind of the idea that I pitched him. I was like, you know, what do you, what do you think about using AR augmented reality to, you know, facilitate communication between humans and robots? And, and what are, what are some interesting questions we can ask around that? So, I mean, I think, you know, having that opportunity and, and having that network of folks, um, definitely informed kind of my next steps in in my research for sure. Um, thinking about informing your next steps, what classes at Cornell had the greatest impact on your career? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, gosh, this is, this is a cool question. It's been so long. I mean, definitely, I don't even remember like the course number or the official name, but it was our design class, you know, that we take sophomore year where, you know, you first get put into a group and you have to actually kind of implement some of the things that you've been learning and apply them to a real project. And you get to, you know, design it and machine it and defend all of the decisions that you've made around it. And it like, on, I'll be completely honest here, I did not do well. I, I, I feel like after the project was over and, you know, I got the feedback from our professors, I was like, oh, that's, that's what I should have done. And that was where the, the learning actually came in. Um, and so, but I don't, you know, I don't think that that's a bad thing. That's okay. Like sometimes that's, that's what has to happen in order for you to learn the lessons that you needed to learn. Um, and, and then I took that into my co-op experience and was able to say, okay, now I know like how I need to apply these things that I've learned and, and you know, how this, this iterative process works and why we need to keep asking these kinds of questions. And so, you know, I, it's not that I did great in the class. I, I, you know, I think I did probably average or maybe slightly below average, but I, the lessons that I learned from that class were invaluable. And I, I think about them all the time. Um, and, you know, as I've gone on to kind of teach engineering to, junior high students and, and high schoolers and now college students as well. Like I, I recall that experience a lot. Excellent. I love that story. I love <laughs> that you're able to appreciate. And even in the moment, it sounds like you were able to appreciate the learning for what it is. It's, it's the learning process. I love it. So along those lines, what advice do you have for undergraduates, maybe sophomores in particular? Yeah. Well, so, you know, as I just shared, you know, my, my sophomore design class not, you know, didn't go probably as one might have hoped. Um, and I, you know, you were very gracious in saying I probably reflected in the, in the moment. Maybe that's true. But, like, I think it hit me hard. And I, you know, I struggled in my sophomore year. You know, you're taking a lot of hard courses. Um, and... Uh, I definitely questioned whether I should stay an engineer. Uh, you know, fortunately, I had, you know, this this goal in mind that I shared before. You know, I really wanted to work at NASA, and I had applied for co-op positions. And um, But I was really questioning 
myself and my choice that I had made. And I thought, oh man, like maybe I should just switch majors and do something quote unquote easier. Um, and uh, I was, I talked to some advisors some academic advisors and they were like, why don't, why don't you just, just wait it out? Like keep working, see how this semester ends and then make your decision. And by the end of the semester, I had gotten, you know, my co-op offer from Johnson Space Center. And um, I was like, okay, like, I think I should, I should stick with this and, and see how it goes. But I think, you know, from that, my, my advice to other sophomores who may be feeling similarly is to, you know, follow your passions. Like I knew that, you know, working on something that supported space exploration and was interesting in terms of getting to design new things and, and work on inspiring projects. Like that was, that was what I was passionate about. And I think that is, that is my advice to, to them is to, to, you know, follow your passions and, and you know what, it, it might be the case that your passions lead you elsewhere, but that's okay too. And, you know, I hope that it's obvious from my story that, you know, I, I didn't take that job and then stay there forever. Like I allowed my interests to kind of lead me on a, on a different path. And, 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 you know, I've come back to being in an engineering college again. Um, and I think that's okay too. So yeah, I think my, my biggest advice is to, to stick with it and, and also, you know, listen to your, listen to your heart, listen to your passion. Very nice. Well, this has been fun, and uh, I better let you get back to the important work that you're doing. <laughs> so we're going to sign off of this recording. So it was great. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you are enjoying these conversations, please follow, rate, and review on your favorite platform. Join us for the next episode, where we will be celebrating excellence and innovation among engineers whose impact contributes to a healthier, more equitable, and more sustainable world.